morning. Glad you're here this morning. We have a laundry basket here today, and I'm going to get to it later. I just wanted to make sure that people in the back could see it, and uh, we're going to, it's going to be a while till I get to it, okay? So just know that it's here, and I am going to come back to it, and it's going to cause me great joy that you have to wait until the end to know what it's there for. Beautiful day. This is the kind of day where we might say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118.24. It's a great verse. And days like today, it's so easy to be able to declare that, that verse as true. It's a pretty upbeat statement. The psalmist who wrote that was expressing great joy, obviously, but they were praising God at that time uh, for helping Israel overcome some big challenges, some scary challenges. There were 50,000 Jews who had returned from captivity back to Jerusalem, and they had a desire to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city walls that had been destroyed many, many years ago whenever they were taken into captivity. And uh, that was a big challenge, and the people around them, the people groups around them hated them, and they, they were using government as a way uh, to, to uh, make life super difficult for them, and it just seemed like at times, like, this is never going to happen. We have this desire to rebuild these things, and it's hard, and, and uh, nothing seems to be working out uh, the way that we want, but it happened. In God's timing, through God's grace and God's power and strength, it all, it all happened. The temple was rebuilt. The walls were rebuilt. And this particular psalm was written in response to that. They celebrated. They praised God with great joy. They said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I am guessing that most of us do not have difficulty jumping out of bed in the morning and declaring, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it on days when the birds are chirping outside your window and the sun is shining and beautiful like it is today. And, and you get out of bed and there's no aches and pains. When you hit the floor, you feel good. You get in the shower and uh, for whatever reason that day, like, oh, I look pretty good today, not bad. The kids are cooperating, and uh, they get themselves up, and uh, they get themselves dressed, and you didn't have to yell at them that they're going to be late, and your wife is singing this song to you about how much she loves you while you're getting dressed. I love it when Angie does that. It's not hard to declare this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it when we can't wait to get to school because we love our classes and we love all of our teachers and all the students at the school treat us with love and adoration. We can't wait to get to work because we love our job and we're pretty sure our boss is going to bring appreciation cookies in that day to share with all of the wonderful employees that bless our lives. It's not hard to sing, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know the song? It's not hard to sing that song on days when we have more money in our bank account than we know what to do with. When we can't remember the last time we had a doctor's appointment. Not hard to sing it on that day, is it? But what about days when the verse from the New Testament in the book of James, this verse in James 1-2, it says this, Consider it pure joy, says my brothers, talking to believers, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? We have a different definition of joy, I think, right? That might be our first reaction to that verse. Trials of many kinds does not sound like a day for pure joy. Trials of many kinds does not sound like a day to declare, well, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Trials of many kinds. I want to welcome you back to this short series that we've been doing on emotions. The emotions, we've been talking about the emotions that Jesus experienced, the emotions that that Jesus expressed. What did Jesus teach us about emotions? And we talked about sorrow. We've talked about anxiety. Last week we talked about anger. If you missed any of those, you can catch up on our website. Today, we're going to focus on the emotion of joy as we wrap up this series Joy is defined by Webster's Dictionary as an emotion of well-being, of success, uh, possessing what we desire. Joy is a state of happiness, according to the dictionary. How many of you would say that you want joy in your life? Raise your hand if you want joy in your life. Most of you want joy in your life. Good for you. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, let me ask you this. Are you setting your life goal on being as miserable as possible? Is that your goal? I just didn't want to raise my hand. Fine. I wonder wonder what you would put on a list. If I asked you to make me a list of experiences that bring you joy, that you have experienced joy in, I wonder what you would put on that list. I, I could give you a few things I would write on my list. Um, when my kids are all home, we just experienced that this week. Uh, the kids were all home, and we sat down and had a meal together, and it's been a while. It's been a while since, we, since we've all been able to just sit down, just the five of us, sit down and, and, and have a meal. And it, I experienced joy in that. Worship corporate worship, whether it's in a setting like this and we're worshiping God together, or maybe at a conference, or maybe at a a pastor's retreat, and we just have this this time where we can worship God together. I experience joy in those moments. When I'm sitting on on the beach in the summer sun, and I don't have to think about anything except just looking out over the horizon of the water's edge, you can't see past a certain point, right? And just, just think about the greatness, the, the, the sovereignty, the incredible power of God. I don't have to think about anything except just that. I experience joy. 
Maybe your, maybe your list is similar to that. You probably have some things on there that are similar. I bet if you, were to, if you were to write your list, it would probably have things that were pleasurable and enjoyable and delightful experiences. Why is it then that James challenges us to choose joy in the face of trials of many kinds? And he's not the only one. Paul does the same thing. Paul challenges us as believers to find and experience joy in our suffering. Hmm. I want to experience joy in life, and based on your reaction, your response, most of you also want to be a joyful person and experience joy. But let's just be honest, not every experience in life generates the emotion of happiness or the emotion of of jubilant excitement. There are days when our circumstances don't make us feel like declaring, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. See, this is where followers of Jesus Christ and those who are far from God, where we see life very differently... It's like when two people look at the same painting on the wall. Maybe you've seen paintings like this. You have that. You go to the next slide. There's this painting. Imagine a painting on the, on the screen that is... Uh, do you remember, the, you remember the paintings that you had to like stare into? Right? Uh, there's, a, there's a painting, uh, the one I picked out. It's, it's of a dinosaur. There's a dinosaur in there. Yeah, and so this is one. If you've seen these before, and you have to, it doesn't look like a dinosaur, and you have to stare at it for a while, and there's a focus thing that has to happen with your eye and your brain for you to be able to see the dinosaur. And sometimes it's like that in life where one person looks at it and like, yeah, I see it. I see the, I see the dinosaur. I clearly see the beauty in this. And the other person's like, Nope, not seeing it. All I see are these weird dots. It all looks like blurry scribbles to me. I'm not seeing it. I don't get it. It's not making sense. And it's not that unbelievers, those who are far from God, it's not that they never experience joy. Christians don't have, you know, we don't corner the market on joy. We don't have the exclusive rights to the emotion of joy. Believers and unbelievers both experience joy when a baby is born or when we go to a wedding or, or when a child graduates from school or your, your child wins the big game, right? Your, your student athlete wins the big game. We, we all experience joy in those moments. Weddings, uh, they're, they're a source of joy for believers and unbelievers. You, you don't need a personal relationship with God to experience the emotion of joy when you get a raise at work or when you sit down in the doctor's office and he or she looks across the desk at you and smiles and says, we just got the report back and you are cancer free. Well, well that's, that's a moment of joy for everyone. But there is something that Jesus only offers to those who trust in him. 
There is a joy that Jesus offers to the follower of Christ that cannot be stolen, that cannot be lost, that cannot be destroyed by unpleasant circumstances. There is a joy which, yes, is in emotion that God desires for us to experience all the time, not just on days when it's beautiful outside and, and, and life is, is all as we want it to be. Jesus offers us a way to experience joys even on days when, as James put it, we face trials of many kinds. If you're wondering, how in the world are we supposed to experience joy on those hard days? Why in the world is there a laundry basket on the stage? To answer all of your great questions, I want to look back to Jesus, and let's look to see how Jesus experienced joy. When you think of Jesus, you probably imagine a joyful person, right? You probably, when you, when you picture Jesus in your mind, you don't imagine a grumpy person or a miserable person. You imagine a joyful person. It's not hard to imagine Jesus huddling up with the disciples. Come on in, guys. Huddling up with the disciples and saying, guys, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. That's not hard for you to imagine a moment like that. So let's look at the moments when Jesus experienced joy. Let's see what Jesus taught us about joy. I think it will help us have clarity, maybe bring clarity to this picture that maybe for some of us are looking at and it's blurry and it looks like scribbles and it doesn't make sense and we don't get it, we don't see it. I hope this will bring clarity. John 15, would you join me there? John 15. This is something that Jesus taught us about joy and in his experience and expression of joy. John 15, verse 9. Jesus says this. He's, he's talking about himself and his relationship with us as followers of him. And he's uh, describing this relationship in terms of a branch, that he's the branch um, or that we are the, he's the vine and we are the branches, and we, we only have life when we're connected to him. Right? He's, he's describing this, this relationship between us as a, as a vine and a branch. And he says in verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Jesus has a full measure of joy that he is experiencing, that he is expressing, and he wants them to experience it too. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Now, that's not a, a, a random statement. Remember what we've just read. Remain in my love. Obey my, my commandments. You want full measure of joy. Okay, here's, here's the commandment. Right? It's all connected. 
This is the commandment. The commandment is, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's a connection here between our love for Jesus, our love relationship with Jesus, our love for each other, and joy. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in, in, in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Verse 17, a repeat of the command. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus had joy, a full measure of joy, and he's saying that his joy can be in us, that we can experience a full measure of joy like Jesus experienced. How? Well, let's, let's go back and, and deconstruct and then build the argument, the, the, the point that Jesus was making. He said, remain, he starts with remain in my love. Well, how do we how do we remain in the love of Jesus? That's all about relationship. That's what this whole section of, of chapter 15 is, is really all about, this relationship connection to Jesus. Think about it in terms of other relationships in our lives. How, how do I remain in a, in a healthy love relationship with my wife? If, if I want to be more than just a roommate with my wife, if I want to have an intimate relationship with her that is filled with joy and not misery, I've got to spend time with her. I've got to be willing to have conversation with her and share my life with her. There's nothing complicated about that. That's not earth-shattering news. But the same is true in our love relationship with Jesus. It's really not as complicated as we sometimes imagine it to be. It's, it just requires intentional effort, just like every other relationship in your life. Remain in my love. And then he says, obey my commands. Think about the connection between obeying Jesus and the things that he's taught us and joy. We live, in, we live in this every day in the sense where in our homes, if there's disobedience in our homes, it destroys joy, right? When, when little Festus disobeys his parents and acts like a little rip or his selfishness won't will allow him to share his toys or, or he gives mom and dad attitude when they ask him to do this chore or that chore, how much joy is there in the home when that happens? Probably not a lot. There's anger, there's frustration, right? There's all of these other types of emotions when disobedience happens in the home. Always kind of been a head scratcher for me when, when Christians seem to think that they can live life on their own terms, ignore God's standards, and then still expect God to bless them with joy. I don't get that. It happens. It's actually the opposite. God disciplines those he loves. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I think that Psalm 51 is a really great picture of this when, when David sinned and he messed up bad. 
We're talking adultery and, and murder. So he is bad. But when he repented of his sin, we see, we see how that impacted his, his soul and his mind and this restoration of joy and why he lost it in the first place. Psalm 51 Verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. He's, he's repenting. He's asking for forgiveness and the cleansing of his sin. Skip over to verse 8. Listen to this. Oh, give me back my joy again. Well, why did he lose joy in the first place? Because of his sin. It says, you've broken me. What, what is that? That's God's discipline in his life. The sin robbed him of joy. God's discipline was not pleasant. And he's asking for this joy to be restored. He says, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is all language of repentance and then verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why was that gone in the first place? Because of sin in his life. And, how, and what was the way to restore the joy was repentance. Obedience, remaining in, in, uh, in this love relationship with Jesus and obeying his commands, these these are sources of joy. And then he says this, this thing in verse 17 about love each other. He says it twice in this section. Love each other, which is the specific commandment that Jesus gave them that he said would bring them this full measure of joy. Love each other. And the love that Jesus was talking about here, it's this sacrificial love. It's a love that takes action. It's a love that forgives. It's a love that serves. I know for me, and I, I'm imagining you would say the same thing, for me, some of the greatest moments of joy in my entire life have been moments when I've had the opportunity to serve someone else, or to love someone else. You say that's true? You look back over moments of joy in your life, that those have been some of the most special moments of joy? When we remain in a close relationship with Jesus through intentional effort, right? We, we spend time with Him, we pray, we worship. When we obey His commands, because sin is something that destroys joy in our hearts, so when we are obedient to Jesus, we stay close to Him, and when we love others, we experience joy. Watch, even on the hard days. When, when that is the pattern of our lives, the pattern of our lives is we're staying close to Jesus, we're being obedient, we're loving other people, then even on the hard days, if that's the pattern of our lives, we will be able to declare, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. One other snapshot or picture I want you to see of Jesus, and it's in Hebrews 12. I think that's a really good baseline to start with, but now I want you to take uh, a trip with me to a whole nother level of joy that Jesus experienced and, exp and, and we see was expressed. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's, 
Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. Well, how do we do that? Verse 2 answers the question. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You might have the, the phrase, fix your eyes on Jesus. The champion or, or, or the author, the, the initiator, the perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Do you see the two words in the same sentence? Joy endured the cross. Disregarding its shame. And now he's seated at the place of honor besides God's, beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. Jesus endured the pain and the shame of the cross with joy. What was it about the joy that would, that would produce, or the cross rather, that would produce joy in Jesus? Was it the physical pain? Was that what it was? How about the insults? Maybe it was the insults that were, were, were generating joy. Maybe it was the betrayal. Maybe it was the injustice that, that generated joy. Maybe it was becoming sin, dying as a sacrificial payment to appease God's wrath against our sin, that He took the punishment that our sin deserves. Maybe, maybe that's what it was that generated joy. I don't know. Those things don't sound pleasant. They don't sound enjoyable. They don't sound fun. Where's the joy in any of that? Well, it says here, he was looking ahead to the other side of that experience of pain and suffering and taking on sin for us. The joy was in, in knowing that his sacrifice was going to accomplish something that would allow us to be made right with God. He endured all of it with joy because he knew that sinners like you and I could be made right with God through faith in him so that his righteousness could be applied into our spiritually bankrupt accounts. Listen, if you believe that gospel truth, if you really believe that gospel truth, then joy should fill your heart no matter what you face in life. Because that's a joy that can't be taken from us. In Matthew 5, 12, Jesus says this, Rejoice and be glad because... Great is your reward in heaven. That sounds nice. That comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and right before that verse, Jesus is making statements like this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are, who are persecuted. When, when people insult you and, and lie about you because of your faith in Christ, rejoice. What? what? Why would we rejoice? Why would we be glad? Why would we find joy? And his point was in that sermon, because of our hope of eternal salvation. Look at John 16 with me. I, I, I love this. John 16, in verse 20. 
as Jesus is, is getting ready to go to the cross and he's having this conversation with the disciples, he says, I tell you the truth, you'll weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Verse 22, so you will have sorrow now, but I'll see you again, and then you will rejoice. And I love this phrase, and no one, no one can rob you of that joy. Verse 24, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. All of these things that Jesus was talking about, his death, yes, it was going to be super hard and painful and unpleasant, but he's talking about this joy that will be complete. He's talking about a full measure of joy that they will experience. Why? Because he's alive. Because he conquered sin and death. That's what he was getting ready to do. And that, since we're on the other side of it already, that gives us hope beyond all the suffering of this life. Make this very practical. I want you to think about some things. Just go back to that list that you wrote. What's on that list? What, what is it that you would write on a list that's brought you joy in this life? I'm sure there's common answers on there. The birth of your child, maybe your wedding. Winning the big game. Richie's ice cream. Does that bring us joy? Like, no, I like stocks. I like meadows. Milky Way. Dirk. What? They all are pure joy. Can we agree? But what about when you're getting chemotherapy? What about that morning when you're getting dressed for the funeral? What about when, when you're sitting down at the table or the counter and you're writing out checks to pay your bills for the month and you are short? What about, what about when your kids are not following Jesus and they're making bad choices and you can see where it's headed and you want to stop it, but you can't? What about when you get to this point in your life and You've been to all the weddings of your friends and you just, you, you, you've heard like this pressure from people. When are you getting married? When are you getting married? And you're getting to this point in your life and you're like, I don't know that that's going to happen for me. Or, or you've been married for a while and you've been trying to have children and you're getting closer and closer to this age where you're like, I don't know if it's going to happen for us. What about when the job is not working out the way you hope? What about when the people that you thought were your friends, man, they, they turn out to be skunks, and, and they really hurt you? How, how are we supposed to step into and move through those moments with this heart attitude that says, yeah, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I think the answer, again, is back here in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at that again. We, we, we are encouraged there to turn our focus to the Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus. The Lord is the one who has made this day. 
In, in verse 1, it talks about endurance. Well, you don't endure things that are hard, right? You, you, or you do. You, you endure things that are hard. You don't endure things that are pleasant and easy. You're not, you're not enduring Richie's ice cream, right? You're not enduring that. Verse 3 talks about not growing weary and not losing heart. Well, what would cause someone to grow weary? What would cause someone to lose heart? It's probably not those things that you put on your list of joy generators. Verse 4 talks about this struggle against sin. Verse 7 talks about, again, endurance and hardship. All of those experiences in life, they would either be obstacles to joy or they would be thieves of joy. Right in the middle of all of that, what is the action that protects and enhances joy regardless of all of those circumstances? It's fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has made this day, the one who has the power to help us endure this day, the one who has the power to give us victory in this day. I don't know. What does it mean to fix my eyes on Jesus. I, I think a simple, practical way to think of that, to fix our eyes on Jesus, is just to remind ourselves that no matter what is happening in our lives, whatever's happening around us, we can still choose. You might not have no control over what's happening around you or in your life at this moment, but you can still choose. I can still choose to live a Jesus-centered life in the middle of all of it. We can still choose to do that. We can still choose to keep our focus on this hope and this strength and this peace and this comfort and the ability to endure that Jesus provides us through His Holy Spirit. It's kind of like when a soldier steps into battle or a firefighter steps into a burning building. It's dangerous, it's unpleasant, it's scary, but they step forward in courage. They're focused on a mission Maybe that mission is, is to protect their friends or to, uh, to, to save lives from smoke and fire. But whatever it is, everything else gets pushed to the side. And they go and they do hard things. So many things in this world that can distract us and can pull us away from Jesus and our focus on Him and the joy that He provides through His Spirit, especially on days when we might be stepping into something that's scary and unpleasant or even risky. And that's when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who's made this day. He's the one who has the power to help us endure this day. He's the one who has the power to give us victory in this day. And so we will rejoice and be glad in this day. I really hope this short series has been, been helpful to you. I, I intentionally wanted to end with the emotion of joy because all the other emotions that we've been talking about, these other emotions that we experience in life, like sorrow, anxiety, fear, disappointment, even excitement, or, or, or pride over an accomplishment, or, or uh, the emotion of, of being Twitterpated over some cute boy or some cute girl, these, these are all temporary emotions. We're not supposed to live 
every day in fear and anger, right? You understand, that's not, that's not supposed to be the norm of our lives. There should not, those kind of things should not be the driving forces of decisions that we make. And, and we can't go through life expecting these emotional highs that we experience sometimes. They're wonderful, they're great, but we can't go through life expecting that we're going to be a mountain peak, emotional high experiences all day, every day. Like, you know, just Red Bull and all the time. Like, that's what you're running at 10? That's not realistic. You have a heart attack if you think that's how it's going to go. And the excitement of attraction, yeah, that's a real thing. But the excitement of attraction, it has to, it has to at some point, mature into genuine love, or it's not going to last. Infatuation is not the recipe for a lasting relationship. It has to turn into love or it won't last. But joy is different. Joy is an emotion that, that God desires for us to experience all the time. To the full measure of His joy, and not just on days when it's beautiful outside and everything is well in your life, even on days when we experience trials of many kinds. And maybe, maybe where you're at right now in this moment, you're like, I am staring at this painting that you're trying to paint for me, this, this, uh, this painting that you're trying to describe, and it's still blurry. I, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. All I'm seeing is this scribbled mess. And, and it may be because you're, you're in this place where something has robbed your joy. Maybe it's disobedience. Maybe it's sorrow. Maybe it's fear. Whatever it is has robbed you of joy. And you're like, I, I don't see it. I, I can't seem to get it back. I want to. How do you get back to a place of joy? Standing firm in a place of joy. Listen, it's, it's not about trying to be a more positive person or looking for, let's go find the silver lining among the storm clouds. It's not about trying to detach from reality and saying some stupid mantra over and over again until you feel better. If you're trying to manufacture joy... We're finally getting to it. It brings me joy that it took this long to get to it. If you're trying to manufacture joy in your life, it's like standing. Oh, that would have caused you joy if I'd have fell off the stage. That would have been like the best thing ever, right? Trying to manufacture joy is like standing in a laundry basket and then trying to take yourself to the laundry room. Not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. Experiencing a true, lasting, unshakable joy is about standing firm in the gospel. We find joy when we fix our eyes on Jesus. We remain in his love, we obey him, we love others, and we remember that the full measure of joy that Jesus was able to hang on to while he endured the cross, that joy is available to us through faith in him. He, has, he, he is the one who has made this day, has the power to help us endure this day, and have victory in this day. And so it is by faith that we get up every day and we step into whatever the day may bring. 
And we can declare no matter what's in front of us, this is the day. Say it with me. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.